Imagine standing just a stone's throw away from the world's most secretive country, North Korea. From October 8 to 17, 2023, NK News invites you on a unique journey, the second ever North Korea from a distance tour. Our experts, including NK News founder and CEO Chad O'Carroll and Cordial Tours manager Gergo Vachi, will take you on a riveting expedition along the inter-Korean border. See the stunning Kumgang mountain range from the east coast and scour the beaches of Yonpyeong Island, only seven miles away from North Korea, for items from the DPRK. In Kanghua, observe North Korean villages from close quarters. Should conditions permit, we'll even journey to the iconic joint security area and the fascinating Chorwon County. You'll also have two thrilling days in Seoul, visiting key museums, political sites, and meeting the NK News team. Throughout the week, you'll be accompanied by leading experts and staff of NK News, including Andre Lankov, Chad O'Carroll, Jacko Zwetslut, Jongmin Kim, and a multitude of others. Not only will you hear them brief on topics of their expertise, but you'll get the chance to really get to know them over dinner and drinks at multiple occasions along the way. Quote, podcast for an exclusive 10% discount when you book. Visit nknews.org tour for more information. Once again, quote, podcast when you visit nknews.org tour. Get ready for the journey of a lifetime. Listeners and welcome to the NK News podcast. This week we're doing something a little bit different. We are not having a short interview followed by a long interview. We're just doing a long interview, which was just organized over the weekend uh, with Andrei Lankov and Anton Sokolin, my two favorite Russian colleagues here at NK News and NK Pro, to talk about last week's trip by North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un to the far east of Russia uh, to meet with uh, Putin and Shoigu and all of his friends and to to talk about what they're going to do together. This is recorded on the afternoon of Monday, the 18th of September. Uh, It'll be released on Wednesday, so hopefully not too much happens in the interim that uh, puts everything out of date. Anton, let's start with you. You've been really busy over the last week, obviously, writing a slew of stories. Give us the brief overview. What's happened? You're correct saying that I was pretty busy last week. That's true. I can say that we witnessed quite quite some interesting, to say the least, surprising events. Kim Jong-un traveled to Russia, met with Russian President Vladimir Putin, traveled by his armored train across the Russian Far East, arrived to Kosmodrom Vostochny, which is a spaceport located in the Far East, up north. Kosmodrom Vostochny. Vostochny stands for East or Eastern. Got it. And they discussed, the two leaders discussed a multiple range, like a huge range of topics concerning bilateral relations, education, transportation, and most importantly, Ah. satellites. And Putin also kind of sent Kim to Komsomolsk Onamur. I know it's very difficult to pronounce, but... Komsomolsk Onamur? Yeah, Onamur, yeah. That's good, good, good. And Kim actually witnessed the Russian newest, most advanced jets, SU-35 and SU-57. And 
his trip went on. I think we we can split we, we it into several <laughs> several parts and talk about it separately. Uh, Andre, historically, this dark green armored train is this the same one that Kim has traveled in before, and that his father traveled in, and his grandfather traveled in, or is there anything new here? Uh, I am not sure, but of course I know that occasionally they have this train refurnished. Mm-hmm. Uh, they change engine, they change change uh, some of the carriages, uh, but they look pretty much the same from for an outsider. Uh, last time they did it, it was a very serious kind of remodeling. It was around 2010, mm. and they believe they did something uh, around 2017 or so, shortly before Hanoi trip, where it was used. But yeah, it's a usual part, usual mode of travel. When Kim Jong-un was younger and more enthusiastic and full of dreams and expectations, he could sometimes take a plane, but he doesn't do it. According to some stories, he basically, as a doctor saw, some of the top officials suggested that he should not fly planes anymore. Oh. Unless for for health dream. reasons? Yeah, for health not reasons. Not for fear of terrorism, which I think was Kim Jong-il's reason for not flying, right? Uh, we don't know, because uh, Kim Il-sung also avoided planes whenever possible. Ah. But he did fly sometimes? Uh, very rarely, yes, he did very rarely. It's a kind of the family feature. You mm. And basically, let's say it, train is more convenient. Yeah, okay. Now, Anton, some other media organizations had some confused reporting about Kim Jong-un's trip last week. I heard, for example, last week, I think maybe on Thursday or Friday, that his train was already taking him home and that some parts of Kim Jong-un's scheduled trip had been cancelled, such as a trip to Vladivostok. Then I heard that he only went home yesterday and in fact he did visit Vladivostok. So do you have any idea what could be the possible reason for the confusion? So uh, basically, as far as I understand, there was a lot of confusion about his itinerary in general. Ah. We It was not very clear whether... Is, is he, that a deliberate thing for security reasons, perhaps? Well, we, you could assume so, but I, I'm not the right person to say. Mm. I could only speculate. There was a lot of confusion about this trip. Mm-hmm. And of course, there were rumors that Kim Jong-un would go to Vladivostok to meet Putin there because the city has a symbolic meaning because it was hosting their East Economic Forum those days. And it would make a lot of sense to meet there. It, it, was, it was just an obvious venue. But then, the, obviously, the plans changed and he went up north. And it, it kind of created a lot of disturbance, a lot of confusion mm. around his visit. And I think that could be the reason why um, certain media outlets misreported it. For me, it was pretty straightforward when we saw the reports that he, his train is passing by Vladivostok and not stopping by it obviously meant that he's going somewhere else. Yep. And then we obviously saw um, news reports saying that the meeting would likely, most likely take place at Cosmodrome Ostochny. Right, the Cosmodrome. And then from the Cosmodrome, he went back down to Vladivostok. Is that right? Uh, he also stopped by uh, Komsomolsk on Amur, ah. visiting the jet factory. Right. And then, only then, he went down to Vladivostok. Ah, so he had three major stops in That's the correct. Yeah. That's correct. That's okay. correct. On, uh, and uh, something interesting I would like to attract your attention. Ah. The National Intelligence Service of South Korea, yep. before the trip, few days in advance, explicitly said that this time he is going to take an unusual route. Hmm. Quote, unquote, unusual route. And he did. And he did. Yeah. And for me, it's yet another confirmation that basically what is said by the NIS yeah. on their technically closed, but actually quite open briefings for the members of the parliament should normally be taken seriously. All right. So often we we know about them because the National Assembly members, they they hear these closed briefings and then they immediately thereafter have a a press conference where they 
reveal what their notes are, what, what notes they have taken during the briefing. So it's a little yes. bit of, um, I heard the NIS say this. So there's, there's another uh-huh. level of intermediation there that could lead to mistakes or misreporting. But anyway, as you say, normally there's something good to be gleaned from those briefings. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. May I add one thing? Sure. Though it's very hard to interpret what they mean, actually, because when we heard the, an unusual way of tra- transportation, mm. uh, we would assume, okay, maybe he's taking a plane. Yeah. Or maybe he's going via China or what. And that is another, like, it, it is an open question to speculation, right? Because we couldn't know exactly what it meant. Uh, anyway, the base, the, the basis, it remained the same. He traveled by train as he used to do it in, in, before. And um, only his um, itinerary changed within Russia. So that was the main di- difference. Right. With, with hindsight, I guess we can interpret what, what that means, yeah. Okay, so in these three locations, and, and I, I guess altogether, Kim Jong-un was there for about a week, is that right? Sort of from Monday to, well, six days, Monday to Saturday? He departed on Sunday. Sunday. And crossed into Russia, I assume, early Tuesday. Oh. So okay. that's uh, September 12th. Right, so you got a, a day of traveling yes. through North Korea. and then okay. Yeah, and that's when the welcoming ceremony was held and when he was received in Russia. Right, and then he left on, on Saturday, I think, right? He left on Sunday. Oh, it's yes, just uh-huh. Sunday. Yes. I think Sunday. it's Sunday. Okay, so really it's a, it's a long trip it's very for long him. Trip. How much time did Putin spend with him on this trip? Well... I heard their meeting was quite long, including a dinner, almost five hours. Did they just meet in that one place or did they meet in several places? All right. Actually, several interesting points that yeah. I wanted to raise here. Putin exhibited a very strange and unusual trait of him greeting Kim Jong-un and arriving to the venue several... like half an hour in advance, which is very unusual of that him, is. because you, normally, as you might know, whenever he meets uh, national leaders, he is late. Right, people wait for Putin, Putin doesn't wait for people. Exactly, and this time he was early, and together they spend, well, the um, negotiations part and the dinner part all together uh, over five hours for sure. Gee. Yeah, but I'm not aware of them traveling to any other locations apart from uh, Cosmodrome. Mm-hmm. I think uh, all the meetings and all the negotiations happened within that uh, spaceport complex. Okay, okay. Now, I want to get onto those uh, negotiations a little bit later, but has Putin promised a reciprocal visit to Pyongyang? Uh, let's say he did not promise, but he gratefully accepted the invitation the invitation right yes okay. what would such a reciprocal visit achieve andre the next visit well to show to the world that north korea is not isolated that russia has a small nasty ally who can create a lot of troubles and unruly and irrational therefore you should be afraid of russia with such allies Pretty much all, pretty much all, uh, because economy-wise, I don't expect much to change. There are only few areas where successful and commercially viable cooperation is possible. Mm-hmm. And all these reports about ammunition sales and transfer of technology, I'm mildly skeptical, but it's a, a different story. Okay, well, let's get into these negotiations then, Anton. What do we know about them? What has been revealed? Because I did read somewhere, and I think I have this in my notes, that Moscow specifically said we've not signed any kind of a deal on weapons. So what was done? It is true that they did not sign any of official agreements or even like memorandums of mutual understanding or mm. something like that of sorts. But according to Putin himself, the two leaders discussed an array of topics like transportation, for example. Putin hinted at the revival of this Hassan Rajin project. It's a big logistical project in North Korea 
across the river from uh, Tumangan River, which separates Russia and North Korea. Yeah. It was initially intended to be like this a big hub, transportation hub that would connect two countries, that they could, could trade. But obviously it was put on halt due to not sanctions directly targeting this project, mm-hmm. but other sanctions that actually blocked North Korea's trade. And they also, there were several interesting points that they discussed. For example, Putin's spokesperson said that Russia would even send a North Korean astronaut in space yeah. if North Korea expressed such desire. And also Putin said, well, we arrived to Cosmodrome Vostochny to help North Korea actually build satellites. And you know the backstory that North Korea has been trying to launch several satellites mm-hmm. in space to set them in orbit. They, it failed successively like two times. Yeah. And the last remaining satellite in orbit, I suppose, is, a, is about to crash within a few days, maybe even now. Oh. Yeah, and, well, it, it was defunct, so... Okay. <laughs> and obviously North Korea would need such help, yeah. We don't know many details, but that's what Putin himself said. So. Okay. Andre, you, you said you were skeptical, mildly skeptical of arms deals. Why is that? Well, it's going to be a long the answer to this short question. Okay. Uh, but bear with me. I, I will not take entire length of our program, but still. <laughs> uh, yeah, first, actually, we are talking about two types of deals. First, we have the ammunition deal. Mm-hmm. And when you say ammunition, we, we mean uh, bullets and shells. Shells. Uh, bullets, obviously, there is no shortage of bullets. Okay, so it's shells. Uh, really. yes, Long, shells yeah. and maybe some simple conventional weapons. Because North Koreans are using largely either Soviet-era weapons or Chinese, or Chinese clones or their own clones of the same system, which means that their ammunition is compatible with the Russian ammunition. Yeah, okay, right. Well, the, some people say it's of low quality. I'm inclined to believe it, but it's still pr- quite abundant. But, well, last year in September, the official representatives of the U.S. government, first there was a leak in New York Times and there were official statements about North Korean ammunition being shells, being actually shipped to Russia mm-hmm. to be used in Ukraine. And now, one year later, have we seen the shells? Short answer is no. The Financial Times about a month ago reported that some of the shells were indeed used, but surprise, by the Ukrainian military. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and the origin of the shells is not clear, but people in the unit which was using the shells, they told this journalist that this was an interception of a North Korean shipment at sea by some friendly country, friendly towards Ukraine. Yeah. And again, it could not possibly be shipment to Russia because you are not using ships. You are not shipping stuff by ship to Russia by sea. You just by use rail. Uh, yes, rail. Mm. And the Americans, they show pictures of some uh, railway carriages allegedly with ammunition moving to Russia. Well, maybe indeed. But question is, if it was a really large-scale program, which is likely to have impact, where are the shells? Mm. In a year, not a single one was discovered. And am I supposed to believe that North Koreans are flooding Russian army with shells? Once again, I'm not saying that Americans are lying and no shipments have taken place, or they make a mistake. It's possible, but not very likely. But I would say that definitely the scale of these shipments is small. Why? Mm, yeah, why? Because North Korea is a tiny economy. Let's not forget, compared to Russia, it's roughly 1 to 50 to 1, the Mm -hmm. GDP. And even 
well, North Korea is heavily militarized, but still its ability to produce is limited. Mm. And they are not going to send much stuff from their stockpiles. So my current such kind of, you know, hypo, very highly hypothetical approach yeah. is some shipments have taken place and probably will take place. Mm-hmm. Both sides will officially deny it, mm. but uh, we should not take this denial seriously. But we should not take also American statements about large-scale shipments seriously because otherwise we would see these shells yep. on the front line. Right, we've got to look for the look for the shells. Yes. Where are, if there are shells are shipped, where are they, what's happening yep. to them? Are they, you know, thrown to the sea? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, as a story, military cooperation, which is a kind of way to describe possible transfer of the Russian airspace, especially missile technology and nuclear submarine technology. It's funny that both sides went at the great lengths to show that it's just about to happen without admitting it. Look, the meeting, the summit took place on the space launch site. Yes. Nearly all places Kim Jong-un visited were of military nature. Yeah. Even when he was leaving, he was given some kind of protected high-tech armor, a set of high-tech armor by a local governor and some, some, you know, rifles locally produced. It was as militaristic as it gets. Wonderful. And now let's have a cold-minded view of the situation. If Russia really sends such technology to North Korea, what is it going to get? I would say nothing. North Korea is not going to pay. Yeah, well, we know that. And they never pay. History shows us that North Korea doesn't pay for things. Yes, first of all, North Koreans hate paying their bills. It's a matter of principle. Uh, Second, if they do well, have they even wanted to pay, they have not enough money. Mm. And so no money. What else? Ammunition. As we have discussed, they probably cannot give enough ammunition for any decent piece of a decent technology because it's expensive. First, was still, they can resell some of this technology to third countries and third parties eventually, and Russia will have no control. Mm. And their promises, well, there was nothing. And uh, so it's a problem. What else? Political support, but Russia already has political support because it's uh, votes against all kind of additional sanctions and critical resolutions in the Security Council. North Koreans are reciprocating by making good-sounding statements about fighting in the same trench against the American imperialism, as Kim Jong-un's sister once said, or about, you know, voting, being one of five or six countries out of 200 UN member countries which vote for Russia, pro-Russian resolutions. It's fine, but it's as much as they can get. Mm. As much as possible. North Koreans cannot give more. Uh, So I think all this mess, and there was indeed a great deal of hints, is not about real transfer. They want to create an impression that transfer, I mean the Russians, Mm -hmm. uh, the transfer is about to happen in order to make sure that South Korea, yes, South Korea, Mm -hmm. will not ship arms and munition to Ukraine. Do you think North Korea knows about this subterfuge? Are they actively playing along, or is North Korea being duped here? It's difficult to dupe North Korea. Maybe they have a hope to squeeze something, mm. just, you know, as a kind of prepayment. And after all, even if they're just selling ammunition for, well, food or hot currency, it's still a good deal for them. It's still a good deal. Plus, it creates an impression that they have broken isolation, which was never high. By the way, all these stories 
American and South Korean spokespeople love to say North Korea is isolated. No, it has never been isolated. It's not isolated. It's isolated only if it itself wants to be isolated. Mm. Let's face it. As it was during Corona. Yes. Okay, let me move back to Anton. Anton, Kim Jong-un also met with the Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, again, didn't he? How long was that and, and what did they discuss? Yes, it was already their second meeting, right, since uh, July, mm-hmm. when Shoigu traveled to Pyongyang for the to celebrate the armistice agreement or the, as they call it in North Korea, the Great Victory Day, the Victory Day in the Great Patriotic War and Patriotic Liberation War. And they met in Vladivostok first. The first venue that they visited was the airport, the inter- Vladivostok International Airport, where they together kind of inspected or let's say Shoigu guided Kim around Russian bombers. I remember watching a video where Shoigu was telling Kim Jong-un that, well, look look at this one, apparently referring to the TU-160 bomber, saying that, look, it can fly from Moscow to Japan and back, and it has six or 12 missiles, mm. each with a combat range of 6,000 kilometers. And uh, I think <laughs> he wow. definitely tried to impress uh, Kim Jong-un over there. Mm. Uh, after that, they went to the Russian Pacific Fleet's base in Vladivostok, where they actually boarded an interesting frigate, which Marshal Shaposhnikov, which was built in the 80s and only recently was modernized and equipped with modern equipment and so on. And Kim was given a private tour around it and all that. He was given even a little model of the ship Ah. as a present. And it was pretty interesting. He also left his signature, his autograph in the guest book of the ship. Mm. And together they spent about like a day. It was uh, was interesting. This seems like a sort of when Kim Jong-un took Shoigu for that arms expo in Pyongyang. It's kind of like a return, sort of a mirror image of that visit, right? I agree with you. And it looked like, okay, I'm going to show you my toys and I'm going to show you my bigger toys. Ah. This time. Yeah. That's that's kind of the vibe that I sort of felt uh, from that meeting. And after that, Kim Jong-un, after finishing his meetings with uh, uh, Shoigu, uh, he also had a meeting with Oleg Kozemyako, who is the governor of Primorsky Krai, of the, the region where Kim Jong-un, where Vladivostok is located. And Kozemyako took him on a tour around this kind of like a, an exhibition that featured modern Russian like advances in military technology, platforms for retrieving wounded people from the battlefield, oh. uh, machine guns, and most interestingly, as they claim, locally produced drones. Mm. There were several drones, kamikaze drones, uh, that are, uh, as it follows from the name, right? Yes. Uh, they, they self-destroy, they are self-destructible. Right. And uh, one recon, a reconnaissance drone, uh, Geran 25, and he was given those as a present. Not models, but actual, actual six actual drones, s- Actual right? drones, yes. they were given Kim Jong-un mm-hmm. as, a, as a present, as a gift, mm. uh, and a control system. Uh, for obviously controlling the drones. Yeah. Okay, wow. So uh, again, there's not been any uh, official announcements of, of any sales or trades, but he did get six drones from Primorsky Krai governor Oleg Kozemyako. Correct. Which he, uh, the governor kindly announced on his Telegram channel. Yes, they did not hide it. They There was a video in on his ch- channel. Uh, he also supplemented it with a text announcement. So um, yeah, they were pretty explicit about it. So while we were all suspecting, expecting that North Korea would be giving military aid to Russia, the only visual thing we saw was that Russia actually gave some military aid to North Korea, six drones. 
Mm, one rifle and one protection, self-protection set. That's a good spot. Okay, spot so, on. So, so six drones, one rifle, and, and one set of, of body armor. Body yes, armor. body sort armor. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, well, that, that, that was a little bit surprising. That's not expected. Just in terms of um, Governor Kozimyako doing this and, and doing it publicly... Was that a breach of sanctions? Most likely mm -hmm. it is a breach of sanctions because those devices, they fall under the uh, harmonized codes uh, that actually are uh, under certain UN resolution. I'm sorry, I forgot the number, uh -huh. but uh, they are within the range of prohibited items from transfer to North Korea. So hmm. technically they are prohibited. Okay, Andre, what is Russia's stance towards sanctions and United Nations Security Council resolutions? It's complicated. Uh, because on the 2nd of September, Alexander Matsugora, the ambassador to North Korea, Pyongyang, he basically said something like, you know, that if we want to develop and we will develop economic cooperation with North Korea, but as if we are going to keep the sanctions, to respect the sanctions, no cooperation is possible. The, when did he say this? Uh, 2nd of September, an interview... Oh, very recently. Yes, uh, inter interview to TAS uh, via agency. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it can be construed as a hint, mm -hmm. very kind of, very obvious hint, that Russia has no intention to follow the... to keep the sanctions. Having said that, I'm, I'm aware that there is some uncertainty of how much sanctions should be broken if they should be broken. Because some of people in government and around the government are not happy about it. They are basically saying that in the end of the day, the current United Nations structure, mm -hmm. uh, the current United Nations architecture is, if you like, biased in Russia's favor. Because Russia is a permanent member of the Security because Council. Russia is and Russia a permanent, has a veto. Yes, has a veto power mm. together with such countries as France mm -hmm. and UK, which when the UN was founded long time ago. In the late 1940s. Yes, yeah, actually 1945, I would say, formally a bit later, so it was a few, few stages. Uh, so back then, they were big. Yeah. Uh, but now, both in terms of per capita GDP, population, Russia, like France, by the way, is not really big international player. Mm -hmm. In terms of military might, it's probably still a big. Not as big as it used to be, but still big. And other regards, no. And this system is basically favoring Russia. And mm. some people say, if Russia starts openly disregarding the system, making fun of it, of mm -hmm. itself, itself, it will probably just speed up a reform of the UN architecture, which is basically unavoidable. But, it can but such a reform might not help Russia. It will not help Russia, period. No matter how it will change, it will be even in under the best possible circumstances, yeah. it would be not in Russia's favor. So if Russia is too obvious in, uh, yeah. in, in playing with these sanctions, yes. or, or just you know, simply yes. uh, not, not, about, yeah, defying them, not abiding by them then it could turn around and uh, bite yes. Russia in the buttocks. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, but you know what? Like recently, a former ambassador to Russia, Vissonak, um, uh, sorry, South Korean yeah. ambassador, he said, I believe, yesterday in an interview, or no, it was Saturday, uh, he said in an interview to Chunan Elbo, he said, basically what I just said, but he, then he added, occasionally in recent year or two, since the beginning of the war, Russia is uh, often acts irrationally, mm. uh, so you cannot be sure. 
it's I can also agree with Ambassador V. I did read uh, in um, our colleague Ifan Bremer's story yesterday, which talks about the drones, for example. Uh, he quoted Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, who himself was a former Russian ambassador to the United Nations. Was he not? Mm, Back in the I'm day, probably. I think he was some years ago. Sure. If he was, it was a very long time ago. Oh, okay. Anyway, he, he said that the United Nations Security Council adopted sanctions against North Korea, quote, in a completely different geopolitical environment. So it seems like he's hinting at there that times were different and now they're not so relevant. And it seems to provide Russia with a justification for withdrawing support for these sanctions. Looks like that some people want to do it. Mm. And uh, some people say that it's going to be a boomerang which will, in due time, hit mm. the people who will do it. Right. But once again, sometimes you have a feeling that emotions are running too high in Moscow, mm -hmm. especially when the situation in Ukraine is not going the way they expected. Uh, so they can do it. I'm still, if you ask me to bet, I would bet two to one that violations of the sanctions will be limited, mm. hidden, and denied. And maybe not inconsistent? And inconsistent, Incons too. Okay. I and would say two to one. But you cannot rule out that it will be quite open. And I believe in the long run it's basically it will inflict noticeable damage on Russia's long-term national interest. Okay, well, I won't take that bet because you're probably going to be right. Uh, Anton, you wanted to say something? Yes, I wanted to add that. I Yeah, I completely agree with what Professor Linkov just said. But one interesting thing that I spotted is that there is a lot of talk on the Russian media about how the Kremlin is going to use a creative approach to sanctions, mm -hmm. hinting at exactly this, uh, ah. that how they are going to be selectively yeah. complying with those sanctions. And one interesting quote from Lavrov as well, when he was asked about this situation that U UN Security Council imposed those sanctions and Russia now is becoming the great, the best friend of North Korea, how is it marrying together? And he said that, well, it's the UN Security Council that imposed sanctions, not Russia. Ah. But and, and it's an interesting how basically it's an attempt to, to manipulate yep. public opinion and distance yep. Russia from the Security Council, <laughs> which kind of is the same thing, because we know how decisions are made within the council, right? right? No, no decision could be made without Russia's complicitness in this. Exactly, case. exactly. Uh, now, Anton, you also reported some experts are saying that Kim Jong-un might want to get parts for jet fighters from Russia as part of this deal that we don't know about yet. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes, several experts told me that it is entirely possible that rather than seeking new purchases of new jets, mm -hmm. because those SU-35s and uh, SU-57s, they are quite advanced, and I'm not sure that North Korean pilots are actually trained or they will have to go through lengthy training mm. to fly those machines. Uh, so th instead of that, he would rather be looking for Kim Jong-un, I mean, yep. uh, would rather be looking for actually spare parts because... Uh, for existing For fighters. the existing um, aircraft mm -hmm. fleet in North Korea because it's been largely... It's, it's outdated and it consists of old machines and even the, those relatively modern models that it has, they have been... North Korea has been cannibalizing them yeah. because you to maintain one machine, you need to actually disassemble the other one and use those parts to maintain the key up. Right. And that's the problem. So that could be one area of potential cooperation that is uh, that that is really kind of sounds like po a possible possible mm. path for their it, cooperation. It's easy yeah. for Russia and it's practical. But what about fuel? Isn't that a bigger well, almost as big a problem as parts? 
a fuel uh, look jet fuel uh, hmm, that is interesting because uh, russia has been already supplying certain amounts of uh, mm. oil and oil byproducts to north korea and within uh, actually complying with uh, sanctions and we we are not sure whether uh, 100% whether russia was actually uh, breaching any sanctions but the the common consensus among experts that i talked to is that it is entirely possible that russia has been also illicitly supplying certain fuel to north korea right because jet fuel for uh, air force planes that is something that's restricted by sanctions as i recall isn't it uh, yeah. Oh, yes yeah. okay uh, andre why do you think Kim Jong-un chose Far Eastern Russia for his first overseas trip since 2019 rather than Beijing. I mean, I remember that before Kim Jong-un met Donald Trump in 2019, he had to go and meet uh, Xi Jinping first. Why would he go to Russia rather than, than Beijing? I would see it as a minor challenge to China. Not a big one. Mm. Uh, but it was just a reminder to the Chinese comrades who are not comrades from the North Korean point of view because they dislike and despise China. And this feeling is completely reciprocated. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, basically, uh, it would be a signal to China that there are, they have a different protector as well. And that, well, basically, they have a measure of autonomy. So it is was. Is this 1968 all over again? Uh, no. The uh, situation has changed mm. a lot uh, because Russia and North Korea can go at great lengths to show their independence, autonomy, not independence, autonomy from China. But in the end of the day, North Korea is completely dependent on the Chinese aid and trade. Russia is less dependent, but still significantly dependent on Chinese willingness to buy Russian basically natural resources, especially oil. And if China is really angry, both countries will be in trouble. Mm. So I think that it was largely a bit of nice, small show of independence. Mm. Nothing serious. Well, they don't have guts and they don't have actually, well, guts It's a bit kind of psychology. It's not psychology. It's a kind of rational calculations. Both countries are way too dependent. In 1968, the Soviet economy was much larger than China. And now, a Chinese economy is roughly 10 times the Russian economy. I see. So, so both, you mean both Russia and North Korea are too dependent on China to do anything to upset China too much? Okay. Apart from some minor, a bit of gesture, mm. a bit of kind of, you know, a, a tiny show. Yeah, some symbolism. Symbolism, yes. Chinese will be annoyed a bit, but not too much. Andre, a, a follow-up question. Do you expect Kim Jong-un to make a visit to Beijing soon to visit Xi? Yes, otherwise it would be too much a challenge. Right, so the symbolism is okay if he, can, if he follows up with a visit to Beijing. If he doesn't, that would be too much symbolism. Yes, and he knows who is the boss. And the boss is a person, a gentleman in Beijing. May I ask a question? Yeah, go on. Wang Yi, oh, you know, foreign minister, Chinese foreign minister is, is traveling to Russia these days. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you make of it? I think there are many questions, but to an extent they are going to talk about North Korea. It's not the only part of, maybe not the major item on their agenda. I would say the Chinese, and we should also keep it in mind, are not going to be very approving of transfer of missile technology. Probably they don't mind spare parts for the jet fighters. From maybe, Russia to North Korea. Yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe they don't buy a mind almost definitely. They don't mind shipment of ammunition. But... If they discover that Russians are sending engineers to help North Korea with their missiles, China is not going to be happy 
and it has enough buttons to push to make both North Koreans and Russians feeling highly uncomfortable. And they have no way but to accept because they have no way to strike back. Why would China be unhappy with uh, North Korea receiving missile technology? Uh, because they distrust North Korea. They know that one day these missiles will probably fly not to the direction of Washington, but direction of Beijing. They know that it's likely to proliferate. Mm. And China is surrounded by countries which dream about going nuclear and getting nice missiles mm. to shoot them in the direction of the same above-mentioned city of Beijing, mm-hmm. should the need, proper need arises, yeah. arise. So basically, China does not want proliferation. Do you think China also would rather not have North Korea put a satellite, a reconnaissance satellite into Earth orbit? I'm not sure, surprisingly, because I'm going to say something heretical. Oh, here Personally, we go. I don't mind North Koreans to have a satellite, a reconnaissance satellite on the orbit. Because one of the problems with North Korea is they have very imprecise picture of the general situation. Mm-hmm. In order to get together, in, they don't have satellites. They cannot even say send spy planes. So they basically have to send old good spies, as if, say, the 10th century BC. And these people, it takes time. They cannot get the full picture. Nice, you can say. So they will be But they have to- internet. So what? Can you use internet to know about the troops' movement, location of airplanes, suspicious movement near the storage facilities where arms, maybe even nuclear arms somewhere in Okinawa, whichever Americans are keeping it. I'm not sure about Okinawa, whichever. Uh, uh, Guam, maybe. Uh, Happening. You can't know much with one reconnaissance satellite. One reconnaissance satellite is never enough. Once you have one, you have to get a network of them because these things are always moving around the earth and then you're you're a few hours behind and you have to have a network of them. You have to start from the first step. And what I would say... Are you happy with North Korea having a network of them? uh, Personally, I I promise to say something controversial. Yes. Yes, because it will reduce, it will make them, unless they are going to attack, which is possible but not likely in the mm-hmm. foreseeable future. In the long run, they probably dream about invasion and conquest, but not now. Uh, right now, they are afraid to be attacked. And if they have more reliable intelligence, probably they will be less, li- less, less likely to do something stupid and dangerous on the wrong assumption that a war is just about to erupt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we have seen some interesting kind of precedent in 1983 under Yuri Andropov, who was basically quite a rational, well-informed person. Mm-hmm. By some reasons, the Soviet uh, leaders decided that the West was just about to invade Russia. It's not clear why they got this mm. idea, but there are all indications they believed it. Yep. And they began to prepare for a serious war. And fortunately, it did not happen. But once again, the Westerners can tell themselves many times, we are good, we are kind, we are peace-loving, we never do such things. And you'd better not to go to, say, Iraq to ask questions about it. But uh, North Koreans have their own opinion. Yes, they are probably now doing some preparation for a possible aggression, aggressive war against the South. I'm talking about tactical Mm -hmm. new program, um, ICBM program. But it's a question of distant future. Right now, they care about their security. And surprisingly, this type of reconnaissance satellites will probably increase their security. Unlike, say, ICBMs, which is a part of blackmail, a preparation for a large-scale war, Mm -hmm. ICBMs are not good for the pure deterrence purposes. Satellites are probably essentially defensive policy, surprisingly. At least it's my controversial opinion.
Uh, having said that, maybe, just maybe, Chinese will not be that unhappy about it. But everything, and generally speaking, everything related to the North Korean missile, they don't like it because they don't want proliferation. They don't want North Koreans to give it technology to third countries, which are likely to use it against China. They don't want North Korea to be too independent, and they're afraid that one day North Korea might be on collision course, not with Washington, but with Beijing. Okay, Anton? Oh, yeah, about China not being too unhappy Mm -hmm. about North Korea having satellites. Actually, I've heard an opinion of one expert that North Korea is currently already using Chinese commercial satellites for its needs whenever it whenever it needs. So mm. indeed, China would be more at ease if, if, if North Korea even got its own satellite network. I think that would make sense. But I'm not sure what the US and South Korea would have to say about it. Mm. Uh, well, let's stay on the China theme. The New York Times on September 16th carried a story that basically said closer ties between Russia and North Korea could weaken Beijing's leverage over both countries and set back China's efforts to stabilize its ties with the West. That goes beyond the idea of a bit more symbolism of of autonomy, Andre, that we talked about. Do you agree with this idea that it could weaken Beijing's leverage? No, it could, but it would not happen Mm -hmm. because Russia has neither will nor especially means to do something serious. Uh, Because, yes, transfer of technology, as I have said, I'm skeptical because yep. Russia is not going to be paid for it, proper price. Talking about economic interaction, it's a big issue uh, because it's not widely understood that North Korea has virtually nothing to sell to Russia. We have always seen the same picture, starting actually, and I'm not joking, from the late 19th century, right? Uh, 1880s, the 1890s, okay. when the Russian government, due to some strategic designs would like to improve relations or increase its impact in or around Korea and Mm -hmm. is ready to subsidize some kind of projects of the Russian private businesses, economic exchanges can go up and flourish. But once direct and direct and indirect government subsidies are withdrawn, the trade between Russia and Korea knows dives. Mm. Why? Because as again, as a small number of items where North Koreans have competitive advantages. This, nearly all these items, with one important exception, are of little value for Russia. It's mineral resources, especially coal. It's seafood. It's some textile. Russia has very little interest in these items, especially natural resources, minerals. But labor... Uh, North Korean labor is something Russia has always been interested in. Yep. Everything else, North Korea can sell on the international market with profit and are of little interest for Russia. On the other hand, North Koreans would like to buy a lot of stuff from Russia, but they are unwilling to pay mm. international market price because they have no money and partially because they are not very happy to pay too, but largely because they simply have no money. So the question is, if the Russian government makes a political decision to subsidize trade with North Korea, it will probably increase. But I don't see it coming. I don't see it's coming. Because Russian economy is quite small, the Western sanctions after the beginning of war in Ukraine have been remarkably less efficient than pretty much everybody in the West expected, but they still have their impact. Relatively small impact, but still. And one should not expect serious economic growth in Russia. Most likely, Russian economy will be slowly sliding down. 
and it simply will be unable to spend much money on assisting North Korea. And for Russia, this much smaller economy, one-tenth of China's economy, is likely to be a greater burden than what China. And without subsidies, no significant changes in the economic structure of foreign trade between two countries is likely to happen. So I don't see Russia as a serious substitute for China. Minor mm. addition, yes. A great deal of symbolism, a lot of talk, but very little work. Okay, let's move on to South Korea. How has this new Russia-North Korea cooperation affected South Korea, particularly in its arms sales and its relations with Japan and the U.S., as well as with China? Anton, what have you seen so far? Anything? Well, so far, I'm not seeing much activity, but there is indeed talks. Uh, we hear from the presidential office that a strong kind of calls on Russia and North Korea to actually not engage in this sort of cooperation, that the the transfer of uh, arms or weaponry would be a violation of sanctions. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, we are seeing quite, so far, not really confirmed, but rumors about South Korea's possibly supplying um, non-lethal tanks, Kopulso uh-huh. To What's or rhino, rhino to mm-hmm. Ukraine, which a non-lethal tank. Yeah, non-lethal tank. It's 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 mostly used for going over the minefields and uh, removing the hur- hurdles, that, that sort of stuff. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, and that could also unnerve because it could pave a way for further arms transfer to Ukraine, which can definitely unnerve Russia. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any signs, Anton, of this trilateral military drills with China, Russia, and North Korea that Sergei Shoigu suggested in July? Well, so far, of course, there is no signs of such drills per se, but at the same time, there is a huge possibility that they might take place. And if they do take place, according to the experts that I talked to, they are not necessary. They don't necessarily have to be large scale. They could start small with North Korea participating in them as an observer, mm. and then they could move to more something more substantial but at the early stage it would be just enough for example for north korean few north korean officers to attend a russian frigate or a corvette or a few north korean jets flying next to a russian bomber escorting it in the east sea and that would be enough to uh-huh. say that actually those drills took place but it would be more of a pr action mm-hmm. rather than a real uh, military exercise, as we think of. Back to symbolism again. Okay, Andre, how can South Korea respond to this new closeness and cooperation? South Korea has, of course, diplomatic relations with Russia. There's a big embassy here in Seoul, just around the corner. Can anything be done? Well, I, I would expect some kind of exercises in mutual, gentle, diplomatic blackmail, mm. which is Russians will be probably sending signals don't dare to send anything to Ukraine, or else we will give missile technology to the North Koreans. And by the way, if South Koreans send indeed something to Ukraine, Russia probably will indeed give North Koreans some technology, maybe not much, maybe not crucial, but something. Because, you know, if you do blackmail, you have to basically keep your threats, make basically sense of your threats. On the other hand, uh, South Korean diplomats will reciprocate by saying, if we see you are giving some technology to North Korea, we will flood Ukrainian army with ammunition. Mm. And after such exchange of threats, what will happen, I don't dare to predict. Personally, my prediction, but don't take it too seriously, is that neither transfer of Russian technology to North Korea, nor shipping lethal military aid to Ukraine going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I even would say something once again iconoclastic because I have a strong impression that even the current government 
in North, uh, sorry, in South Korea is not very eager to provide Ukraine with military aid. They're quite happy to work with, you know, reconstruction, everything, mm-hmm. maybe some humanitarian assistance, not too much. But they don't want to involve in a war. They see as a distant war somewhere on the other side of the globe. And it's this kind of Russian blackmail will give them, will give the South Korean diplomats a nice opportunity, a plausible explanation when they are talking to the Americans who will be demanding more assist, active assistance for Ukraine. And I easily see how South Korean diplomats say, we would be very happy to do it, but you know, this uh, um, nasty Russians with their missile technology, it will create so much trouble for us and for you, by the way, our dear American friends may, so maybe we will stay quiet. Okay. This is what they want anyway. You, you've just raised the Americans. The United States has said that it would be a huge mistake for North Korea to exchange military support. But really, what can the United States and the international community actually do about this new closeness between Putin and Kim and Russia and North Korea? There's not really much they can do in, in reality. The only actually thing that they probably could do would be unilateral sanctions, again, adding to the whole basket of those mm. old sanctions. And as uh, Professor Lankov mentioned, yep. they are not proven very efficient so far. They are having certain impact for sure, but they are not uh, like completely ruining the Russian economy or changing or somehow influencing the course of the Russian establishment. So it would be just another one in the line of, of in the long line of previous sanctions. It's an interesting historical development. I'd like to point out that uh, in 1950, the Soviet Union supplied tanks and weapons to North Korea, which used those weapons to invade South Korea. And in the lead up to that invasion, the United States supplied South Korea with weapons with which it was supposed to defend itself. And now here we are 73 years later, and we're talking about a situation in which maybe, maybe North Korea could be supplying weapons to Russia with which it can invade Ukraine, and South Korea is supplying arms to the United States so that it can indirectly help Ukraine to defend itself. How do you see that, Andre? Yes, it's basically correct. Just as historian remark, when Americans were ship, shipping weapons to South Korea in the late 1940s, they deliberately sold only non-offensive weapons, which is another right. kind of sort of resonate with the current situation. Right. Uh, yeah, because they were afraid that South Koreans would attack first. They didn't want it. But having said that about sanctions, it's another something which... I'm not going to say something sensational or controversial. If you read any serious research of sanctions, and there are dozens of books, hundreds of reports, some of them classified, not classified, everything, they say basically the same stuff. Sanctions seldom, if ever, work. If they work, they usually work if they deal with secondary issues and the target country is sort of democracy. Mm. Neither Russia, and nor especially North Korea, is a democracy. Why do Western countries introduce sanctions? To create an impression that something has been done, but nothing can actually be done. And it's largely done to, for their own voters and their own parliaments, not to achieve something because experience has shown, mm-hmm. again, if you don't agree, feel free to read stuff. There is a lot of research on this issue. Mm. Most recent book by Hanania, but it's just it's a good book. But there are many others which says sanctions seldom works. And talking with North Korea and Russia, both countries have been suspected to an unprecedented uh, number of sanctions, and the results are well not quite noticeable. Okay. Final thoughts, Anton. What do you expect will happen next? Well, who knows? As we already pointed out, 
Russia is has been re- acting pretty erratically and sometimes irrationally. So mm-hmm. it, it's pretty unpredictable right now. But I think we summarize what has been said today. Mm-hmm. It's that indeed there will be some cooperation. Indeed, there will be certain level of contacts between Russia. And the Russian ambassador in North Korea also pointed out that there will be certain joint projects. But the extent of those projects is likely to is likely to be very limited mm. and uh, unlikely to affect the grand scale of events but still but there right. i would expect a great deal of noise publicity exercises reporting tv cameras you know and when from which side from, uh, from russia oh. maybe from both sides because this rather quite small mm. cooperation will be reported and presented to the world as if something really big a game changer It might be a game changer, but I don't see it coming. Uh, most likely not. But it will be presented in a grossly exaggerated way to make sure that it will have political impact. Both sides hope for. Andre, you're a, a betting man. We know that from earlier in the Absolutely. podcast. Would you uh, bet money on Kim Jong-un visiting Beijing before Putin visits Pyongyang? Which will happen first? I would bet money significant amount of money, maybe up to a nice lunch mm. nearby. At the pancake restaurant? Pancake restaurant is a good choice. Person has a rough, good sushi place nearby. Okay. And Chinese, 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 Chinese food. <laughs> okay. uh, so, but anyway, yes, I will bet money. Which will I would first? say four to five that uh, Kim Jong-un will go to Beijing first. And and what sort of timeline, limit would you give it? Uh, within this year? Yes. Okay, yes. Kim Jong-un to visit Beijing before mm. the end of this year. Or maybe very early next year, because we have had some precedents. Maybe for his birthday, as he once did. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, but, yeah. yeah. In near future, I would say this year or very early last, uh, sorry, next year. Right. Until maybe this autumn or winter, let's say. so. Okay. Uh, Andre, has the world divided into two blocks? They are very uneven, yes, but they are very uneven. Even if you look at the division of the, during the Cold War era, And if you look at the then structure, the Soviet bloc had much larger share of everything. And then what we see now, it's basically China and countries which, I wouldn't say dependencies on China, uh, but decided to align with China. We have to make calculations, but compared to the previous Cold War, this time anti-Western quote-unquote bloc is seems to be much smaller. Mm. Maybe not in terms of GDP, but in terms of number of participants, general support. However, what is important, what I see now with a mild surprise, mm. I did not expect it, that the significant majority of the world in terms of population does not want to participate in this conflict on either side. Mm. The majority of the countries, especially less developed and less democratic countries, they are not supporting U.S. And they are not supporting China, of course. They are just looking for opportunity to make a bit of money and to advance their own local interests using this big contradiction. It was last time during the first Cold War, it was a bit like this, but now it's much more pronounced. And this is a dangerous Western illusion, I would say, believe that the world is going to follow the West. No, it's not going. But it's also not going to defect to China. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's where we have to end today. Once again, thank you very much for coming on the show, Dr. Andrei Lankov and Anton Sokolin, to talk us uh, through last week's visit by Kim Jong-un to Russia. Stay tuned, and we'll be back, I'm sure, in a few weeks to talk about more developments. So thanks once again. Thank you. Thank you. 
Ever feel overwhelmed with the complexity of trying to understand what's going on with North Korea? Don't fret, NK Pro is here to help. Built on the strong reputation of NK News, NK Pro combines decades of experience with cutting edge technology to offer the best in North Korea related information. Here's the deal you get daily analysis and exclusive news along with amazing research tools that let you tap into a vast range of open source North Korean information such as state media search and data extraction, real-time ship and aircraft movement tracking, and A to Z directories of people, companies and organizations inside and outside the company. Yes, you heard that right. NK Pro is perfect for those in policy, business and research who need quality, reliable and timely insights. It's not just about staying informed, it's about understanding the key signals that can change the course of the future. So why wait? Dive deep into the realm of North Korea with NK Pro and navigate the landscape like a pro. After all, knowledge is power. Interested? Visit nknews.org professionals to claim your free 30-day trial of NK Pro. Once again, that's nknews.org professionals. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode for today. Our thanks go to Brian Betts and Alana Hill for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, and fixes the audio levels. Thank you, and listen again next time. <laughs>